0: and welcome back to another episode of the Birth Launch Podcast. You guys, what do you know about a pain-free birth? Does it sound insane to you? Does it sound impossible? Does it sound like something that's only made up on the internet but actually pretty unattainable in real life? Well, I'm here to tell you that after having attended 500 plus births, painless, pain-free births actually do exist. They have a name and they're typically called orgasmic births. And this is where when you are having your baby, you actually feel orgasmic. You feel elated. You feel happy highs. You feel this rush of hormone that is absent of fear, absent of tension. Now, what it doesn't mean is that you're not going to feel your contractions or you're not going to feel your labor. You absolutely will, but it doesn't mean that it has to be painful. I'm so stoked for not only this episode, but also next week's episode, because this week is just part one. That's right, we are doing a two-part series on your pelvic floor in labor and how that impacts the pain that you feel during birth. I'm so excited to be being joined by Dr. Q, a pelvic floor physical therapist who specializes in women's health and helping people have babies. Dr. Q works closely with patients as they navigate through pregnancy and postpartum recovery, and she has witnessed just how isolating and overwhelming this experience can be. So she became a postpartum doula and childbirth educator. She also was a speaker at A1, which you guys know I attended my first A1 conference earlier this year, and it was totally life-changing. Okay, I'm going to be quiet so that you can learn all about your pelvic floor in labor and how this can help you have a painless, fearless labor. So without further ado, Dr. Q, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. I really am. You have been um, someone that I've wanted to have on the show. And then this season is actually all requested by our followers. The topics are. And so So I took the topics that they had asked for and I chose the professionals that I wanted to bring on the show. Um, And you are it. And I'm very excited to be talking about um, pain perception and the pelvic floor in labor in pregnancy. Um, This is actually going to be a two-part series because there's so much information and you have a very specific way of kind of presenting this information to patients that makes it, in my opinion, very digestible and so applicable really in labor, like like doing it, right, carrying it out. But before we dive into all of the good and juicy info, um, I just gave you a formal bio. But outside of all the formalities, who are you? Who is here with us today? So, I mean, I
1: am a therapist. That's probably a given. Um, but I'm, I'm basically somebody who really cares about helping people who are in the process of preparing to give birth and or recovering from giving birth. Um, That's not the only thing I do as a therapist, but uh, I think on an individual level, it's something that I care a lot about, um, that overlaps, uh, overlaps a lot with my profession, because I'm a huge advocate for reproductive justice. So when it comes to the principles of what reproductive justice entails, which is the right to or to not have children and to raise them in a safe, nurturing, caring environment. Um, that is, it should be paramount in reproductive healthcare. Um, and as a pelvic health therapist, that is something that I live and breathe. So for me, this is more, it's in, it's in alignment with things that I already care about, things that I already believe in. Um, and it's just really great to know that my career somehow, some way as a PT, which I didn't even know I was gonna be a public floor therapist when I started PT school. It it just worked out for me that way. Um, because I am somebody who's loud about my opinions on things and I am an advocate for things that I care about. And this particular sect of healthcare, especially when it comes to the the birth space, um, is really important work. So that's what I care about and that's I don't know how I got here, but I did, and I'm happy to be here, but um, I like to say that this specialty found me, but outside of that, you know, I am just, I live in Southern California. I, I pretty much have a basic, simple life. I like to enjoy my friends and my family and go outside and cook and eat and do all the things. So pretty simple, but that's who I am.
0: Hey, we are so grateful to have you and uh, we respect the hell out of that simple, basic life. That's me. Same. I just oh, yeah. like, love good food, chilling, friends, yes. just be basic, right? Um, right. Okay, cool. It's Super no, no, no. ironic
1: because I'm child-free by choice, which is so funny to people that they're like, you do all this work like, you, and you don't have kids. And I'm like, I don't have them and I don't want them, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but you know, now I get to give all this information away, so why not?
0: We love it. Oh my gosh. okay. um we we want to first lay the foundation of the perception of pain, but not necessarily in terms of the pelvic floor. So today's episode is going to be about actually understanding pain in the body so that you have a foundation of how to apply that to next week's episode all about, actually your pelvic floor and in labor. So Dr. Q, you talk a lot about being a detective when it comes to your patient's health and what's going on in their body and helping them understand that everything is kind of connected. There's neuroscience behind pain. So talk to us a little bit about maybe some of that neuroscience. And then also, what do you mean about being a detective? How How do you do that? And what does that mean for your patients?
1: Sure. So physiologically, pain isn't only a symptom, right? Pain, we like to say as therapists that pain is an experience because you can't just treat the symptom without treating the person. And so what we mean by that is that from a protective perspective, pain exists to help us survive, right? If something hurts, you don't keep doing it, especially if it's causing damage. But the trickiest part about pain is that it's because, it's, because it is a sensation, typically a physical sensation, not always, um, it is primarily regarded as, as something that you feel that you can make go away. But when it comes to different types of pain and the way that our brain perceives what's going on, I like to say that brain technically doesn't exist until your brain says it does. And the reason I phrase it that way is because you have different types of stimuli. So when you, when you take away the pain symptom first and you go back to what triggers it, usually there's a stimulus and there's a response, right? So whenever the brain perceives pain, and we'll get to this when we talk about the pelvic floor, uh, there's, a re- there's a resulting guarding mechanism that is meant to be pr- protective in nature. Um, but before we even get to that response, we have little receptors all over our body and they pick up on different types of stimulants or stimuli. That can be temperature, that can be pressure, that can be um, whether something feels sharp or dull. And so our brain is constantly taking this information from our body to then decide, is this something I need to worry about? So once the brain processes that information and sends the response, that's when we can address whatever's happening. Like if you sprain an ankle, the ligament gets really stretched. There's some swelling to protect the area. The the brain sends a bunch of blood to that area to kind of clear out the debris from the damaged tissues, et cetera. But when it comes to persistent pain, right? So there's acute pain that happens from a traumatic event or a very specific incidence that caused some sort of structural change to the tissues, not always. Um, but then there's pain that is more persistent. It's not necessarily there because of something that happened. It's more of a result of something that either continuously happens repetitively, like a repetitive strain type of injury from doing something over and over again. We see a lot of that with our back pain patients who have uh, manual jobs, uh, labor, laborious jobs. And so pain on its own can be the result of so many things. But the main takeaway from all of that is that your brain truly is in charge. Your brain is in charge of all the systems that have to kind of orchestrate their function to facilitate the right response. And it goes back to primitive survival, right? Like It's fight or flight if there's a lion in the cave, the cave man or woman has to run away. And we do that by getting our heart racing, our blood flowing to our limbs, our muscles pumping so we can run. And that's one version of that response. And then depending on the, you know, how long that threat is present, then that's how long the response um, It kind of goes hand in hand with how strong that response is. And so when it comes to the primitive science behind it, pain is not bad, right? It it sucks. And it's, it can be very debilitating. It can be very stressful to deal with and manage, but on a very basic level, pain is kind of necessary. It's necessary for survival. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't know to remove our hand from something that's about to burn us. Right. But all of those proper responses require all of our systems to be well- tuned in to all of these things, and that's affected by our environment, the people around us, because the sensations and the stimuli that our brain is processing are partially physical from our body, but also they can be emotional, they can be psychological, it could be fear or anticipation of pain. Pain doesn't even have to actually be present yet, because again, it's not there till the brain says it's there. And so my job as a therapist, kind of to answer the second part of your question, which is as a detective, you know, somebody tells me I have pelvic pain, that can mean hundreds of different things. (laughs) So there's so many structures, there's so many muscles, there's so many ligaments and joints that we can assess. But when we talk about the experience of pain, treating the structures and the anatomy and the muscles and the joints is one thing. But addressing and rehabilitating the movements or the activities that are contributing to why somebody is experiencing pain or why those tissues are either working really hard or getting strained or getting stretched or getting ruptured or torn with whatever function, that's the part that we have to kind of unpack so that we can make sure that this person, A, not not only has their symptoms go away, but B, knows what happened and why their body was feeling that way and what they can do about it to reduce their chances of it continuing to happen over and over again. And so we can't just do that in, you know, rate your pain, tell me where it hurts on a scale of zero to 10, and then let me do, you know, my little assessment and give you two or three things, and then you'll never have pain again. That's not really how therapy works. It's more of a partnership where we're constantly kind of digging into, okay, when did this start? Because again, if it wasn't like a one-time injury, they might not know, they might not know when they started feeling this. They just know at some point in my second trimester. I woke up and it started hurting or after I was standing for 30 minutes, all of a sudden there'd be this sharp pain and it's not necessarily something they did or that happened to them, but it's usually, you know, their body's changing and their brain is trying to keep up with those changes and make sure that everything's functioning properly. But when pain is present, it can be very stressful and it can upregulate our nervous system which is kind of that back end of what I was describing where it's not just the physical component of it. It's how your brain is processing all the information around you and giving you the, or
0: facilitating the correct response. And making you go into fight or flight a lot of times, right? That's how we say in this like hyper elevated sensitive arousal state. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's fight or flight, which
1: most people are aware of. And then there's freeze, right? Where you do nothing. You kind of just get stuck. Uh, and then there's Fawn. So Fawn is kind of it's sim. It's like the the cousin to freeze. You don't necessarily freeze, but it's almost like you do. But then you kind of acquiesce to whatever's happening around you, and um, you just kind of go with the flow, or you you know you take the advice of the next person that says anything without really. Processing it and figuring out if that's the right response for you, and then sometimes that's reflexive. It, you know, it's not something anybody really does on purpose. Again, this goes back to survival. And so, when we think about the fight or flight response and what that would mean for somebody who's in labor, which we'll talk about eventually, um, that's where we kind of have to think about pain as not just something to to bandage or make go away. We have to help this person move through their pain and understand it better so that they can cope with it properly, so that their nervous system is actually more soothed. They have more more wiggle room, I say, to for your brain to figure out, is this really something I need to worry about or panic about, or is this something that's going to hurt for a second or a minute, like a contraction, and then it'll be done soon, right? Like that, that conceptual, like what is my expectation of what this is going to feel like? And what is my experience with this symptom before, right? There's Pain is influenced by not only our, expectation of what it's going to feel like but whether or not we've experienced it before and then additionally the the environment that we're in because something like a stub toe might not be that bad at home when you're just you know walking from the couch to the kitchen or something but a stub toe when you're already running late at work to meet somebody or for something important right it's going to be a little bit elevated because now you have all this stress around you know doing what you have to do so the environment can also affect intensity of the pain as well. And then that can trigger more of a fight or flight response, even though there's nothing really wrong, right? So there's not really an injury or a threat. The threat is, oh, I might be late to this meeting because I stubbed my toe because I didn't see where I was going, but it doesn't mean my toe is broken or fractured necessarily, right? It doesn't mean something's wrong. It doesn't mean I did anything wrong, but the pain is still there and it might feel worse in that moment than it would normally if I wasn't in this situation
0: where I'm running late, right? Yeah, that just makes me think about the hospital setting. Like, just think about how those bright lights and the new faces and the beeping right. and the uh, people in and out and, and kind of the invasive procedures and sometimes invasive attitudes and clinicians and and just like the whole environment, right? right? Um, and it's such a varied experience across the nation. You kind of never know what you're getting when you when you go into the hospital. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. That's tough. But in the, the same way that, um, you're talking about fear. I want to talk about that fear, um, pain tension cycle that I think we all know in labor, but talk to Mm -hmm. us about it from the perspective of like our pelvic floor and that, um, kind of that chronic stress and what it does to our pelvic floor and maybe how that impacts labor.
1: Right. The, the fear, pain, tension cycle, I, you know, when I was studying it, it actually was developed because of labor, <laughs> physiologic labor. Uh, yeah, I thought it was going to be some scientist, like a neuroscientist or, or a neurologist or something that studied neuropathic pain, but it was actually a man, of course it was a man, uh, Grant Dick Reed, uh, I think in the twenties and his whole thing was about how we can kind of, you, you can have pain without fear and you could, And then you know, ipso facto, you can give birth vaginally without fear, right? And then that kind of paved the way for things like Lamaze and hypnobirthing and the Bradley method, Um, and it all stemmed from this underlying principle that when you have a deeper understanding of the physiology behind what your body is doing, then it eases the stress because it takes away some of the fear of the unknown right now we're not saying you could predict how it's going to (laughs) go what we're saying is there is pain that is you know primitive and it it exists because of an injury and that's the response There's, there's also pain that has a purpose when it's you know getting you closer to meeting your baby right we know that contractions are intense we know that they physiologically follow a pattern where they start far apart and get closer together But the thing about that type of pain is that it's, you know, it does, it's intense and it, and it could take days for some people. Um, But how you manage that pain is heavily dependent on the facility and the environment and who's around you and who's supporting you and how they're talking to you. And if you're able to rest properly throughout the active labor between contractions, um, because when, when you're not able to properly, Assess what's going on in your body and your environment and understand why you feel what you feel. All the information is just kind of jumbled, and your brain is kind of just doing its best. And so, there's a lot of stress in that. There's a lot of adrenaline, there's a lot of cortisol, and those hormones are what help you go into fight or flight if you need to survive something because you think something's a threat. Um, And so, when it comes to the muscles, the muscles' role in that is that they usually Tense up. They usually, they usually get more active because your brain is telling your body something's wrong. We need to figure this out. So it sends that signal to either create movement or create tension to brace against the pain or to run from the pain. You can't run away in labor, right? So what do people tend to do is they tend to clench different parts of their body, right? Either maybe they clench their fists, maybe they clench their jaw, they tense their neck and their shoulders. And this commonly also happens with the pelvic floor. The pelvic floor is a group of skeletal muscles. They are not exempt from this guarding mechanism. And if anything, um, they almost, in a lot of people, they they tense too easily <laughs> because functionally that is their job. They are supposed to close those openings at the bottom of the pelvis. And so when there's pain and when there's stress and when there's um, anticipation of, oh, this isn't going to go well, or I might need. know a c-section or it's been this long and they're saying this and that and there's this this looming like cloud of well of the unknown right and so it it feeds into that fear pain tension cycle because not only are you compounding the fear with you know either the language or the um just the high intensity high stress especially if it's somebody who's relatively low risk right uh, versus somebody who is medically complex and would need those things, hopefully they've had those discussions prior because of, you know, whatever conditions that they have throughout their pregnancy um, or, or in their medical background in general. But for somebody who is especially a first-timer, pretty low risk, um, a lot of the times just the unknown is enough to trigger a fight-or-flight response, even if something doesn't hurt too bad yet. Right. And so if we're not able to break that cycle and you could do it from any angle, there's three, you know, components, there's fear, there's pain and there's tension. If it's the fear, you address that, whether that's you change the environment, you change the language, you dim the lights, you, you know, you turn off the the noise or you quiet the noise, you give yourself space to kind of zone in on managing that fear. It may be it's words of affirmation from a partner or provider. Maybe it's a compliment. You're doing great. right? Like nothing's wrong. You're doing fine. This is how it's supposed to go. Your body's doing what it's supposed to do. Sometimes that's enough. Okay. I thought it hurt because something was wrong, but you're telling me nothing's wrong. Okay. So I'm fine. And then there's, you can hit it from the pain angle, right? If something hurts, if you have back labor, counter-pressure helps, position changes help. Right. Um, and so if you're, Kind of coming it from a tension perspective, that's where the body work is kind of nice. Some people really like massage. Uh, we talked about counter pressure. We talked about, you know, moving and position changes because obviously if your muscles are tense, the last thing you want to do is stay still. Right. You don't just sit there and just grin and bear it. Hopefully um, you move, you work through it, you, 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 you use gravity, you use different, um, you use your senses, right? Some people like something really warm. Some people like something really cold. Um, They want to hop in the shower. They want to bounce on the ball. So wherever you choose to break this cycle, the goal is the same. The goal is to allow somebody more time and more quiet for their nervous system to function efficiently without feeding into more fear and more pain and more tension, whatever that means for them. Some people require more hands- on. Some people prefer hands off, right? You just gotta you gotta figure out a way in to talk to their nervous system to make that difference. And so as a therapist, it, it, it's it's I feel like to me, this is like a big part of the birth education with a prenatal patient because as somebody who helps people right, figure out why this is hurting, there's so much, there's so much benefit into just having that body awareness of how you already address or manage or move through pain, right? I said the stub toe as an example. Some people, they stub their toe and, you know, they let out the, the loudest scream, like they're on the floor, they're massaging their foot, right? They just got to like, they have to address it and they can't just move on. Some people hobble around, some people just, they get over it. They're like, oh, whatever, I'm fine. Right. They could be bleeding and they're like, it's, it's fine, I'm fine. So knowing that about yourself with even silly examples like that is really helpful because labor is very psychologically, you know, it's challenging. And so when you know that about yourself and you have that introspection, you can strategize whatever it is you need in that place, in that space wherever you're giving birth to address your fear, to address your pain and to address your muscle tension, whether that's the ball, the rebozo, the, you know, the tens unit, the epidural for some people, right? Or is it, I just need quiet. I just need dark, I need dim lights. I need a quiet space and I need to focus. And that can shift, right? Depending on where you are (laughs) in the labor process, those needs, those preferences can change. Um, But my point is when it comes to the muscles, that's just one part of the response and it's a heavy part of the response because it's it's almost automatic right like if somebody's about to punch you in the gut you don't just like relax right you like kind of brace and and tense your body and brace for impact um, same thing happens with car accidents right there's a the reason why with for example drunk driving accidents it's usually the driver who is intoxicated that either survives or has significantly less injuries right than the people who we're not intoxicated. And I think a lot of that goes back to the people who had their nervous systems fully functioning, were able to brace for that impact, even though the person who wasn't able to do that walked away with less injury. You would, it's counterintuitive, right? You would think that you have to brace for impact to survive. But in, in reality, with that kind of impact, I'm not saying, to, <laughs> I don't even know if this is even... Gonna make sense to people. It's not that you have to relax if you're gonna, you know, get rear-ended or something. But the point is that your body does this without you even telling it to sometimes. And so, when you're able to kind of sweet talk the nervous system, or sometimes trick it into chilling out a little bit, or you find that window or that whatever that method of relaxation is that's super comfortable and calming and soothing you don't have to work as hard to relax because your nervous system go, it's almost like a letdown. Right. And so unfortunately with a drunk driver, they did that through alcohol, but when it comes to labor and birth and just life, we do that through understanding our body better, how to move, how to breathe, how to stretch, right. How to, pr- how to process what does this discomfort or this pain mean? And what can I do about it is way different than, Oh my God, it hurts again. And I don't know when it's going to go away because I don't know what's causing it. And what am I going to do? Like it, it just spirals. Right. And so the muscles are going to play a huge part of that. And when it comes to the pelvic floor, which is the gateway to the outside world for that baby, that's where the tension in that area is not going to be very helpful, right? In terms of birthing a a baby through that
0: opening. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I think this is a great place to wrap up episode one, because I feel like we have given people so much information. I want you guys to process this. I want you to think about maybe the places in your life that are causing that persistent stress or notice the tension that you hold in your body. Something that I've recently been doing is I did not realize that I was a um, jaw clencher. And now when I notice I'm clenching my jaw, I relax my jaw and take my tongue and press it to the roof of my mouth. And I like relax my whole body. Um, And it's something that I am trying to do like you know, 24 seven last night. I was in bed realizing I was clenching my jaw and I did it right then. I do it, you know, yeah. while we're recording podcasts, I do it on calls. I do it while I'm just sitting yeah. and reading. I do it all the time. So take the time this week to kind of recognize those faces in your life. And then we'll see you next week for episode two. Dr. Q, before we wrap up, is there anything else that we need to know about pain 101 or understanding the pelvic floor in terms of pain um, before we head into next week's episode. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess the last thing for
1: this, not to get too ahead of myself for the the next part, um, is that a lot of people assume whether that's because of, you know, what they were told or maybe this is what they heard their friends do or what their provider told them is that pelvic floor therapy is mostly for people who've already given birth. And that's a huge misnomer. It's not true. You can actually benefit a lot from going to therapy while you're pregnant. Um, And this and a lot of what we talked about is why like if this is news to you, if you've never, if you experience pain, which hopefully not too bad during your pregnancy, but in general, right in life, um, it's it's beneficial to work with somebody who can explain these things to you and also assess your personal musculoskeletal system, right? Especially if you're pregnant, you're going through tons of changes, like a 10 month growth spurt that you're going through that your brain is trying to keep up with. And so one of the biggest benefits, I think from starting therapy prior to postpartum is that you understand your body a lot better. You understand your muscles better there's a lot, there's a deeper level of understanding of how you're in control of certain things and what your body and your brain prefer. When you have that data, your nervous system doesn't have to guess and, you know, sift through all these options and go through a panic because it doesn't know how to handle what it's feeling or what it's uh, perceiving is happening. And so the therapy whether you know, you're know you already coming in for something that's painful, obviously, we're going to try to help the pain go away. But in that process, we talk about the, the science behind it. We talk about the physiology. And more often than not, us just telling somebody these facts about what pain is helps them kind of piece together their own experiences. Oh, my gosh. Is that why when, for example, somebody who snapped a bone in half, right, snowboarding or something? they'll tell you most of the time, like, of course it hurt eventually, but in the moment they were kind of just dumbfounded, right? They hurt, they felt a pop. Maybe they kind of like blacked out a little bit, but they don't remember pain that much. And then that's the same concept for somebody who has like a a fourth degree burn, right? A fourth degree burn is a lot less painful. It's not painful at all compared to a first degree because you've already singed off all the nerve endings, right? So when we think about, damage and pain that's a really dark way to end this but when we think about those extreme levels of 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 tissue damage and injury but how little pain there is in that moment right that just kind of goes to show like not all pain is created equal and so if you're experiencing even the mildest of symptoms in your pubic bone or in your tailbone or in your low back that you never had prior to pregnancy or maybe it was it was kind of there before you got pregnant and it's a little bit worse now those are the things that we can help. Like you don't just have to live with those things. You can learn a ton of things to do to maintain comfort. And in the process, learn about how you personally manage symptoms and how your nervous system is going to respond in the face of pain, and then start thinking about how you would apply that to labor. So it's not just kegels. It's not just learning how to push the baby out. At least, I mean, I, can, I guess I can only speak for myself. <laughs> But, you know, we talk a lot about this because it, it really does reduce a lot of that fear. And that's been studied for things like surgery. When somebody understands the surgical procedure that they're going to undergo before they actually do it, their outcomes are better. Their pain levels are lower. And the only difference was the education. And that's the same principle that they um, were talking about when it comes to the fear, pain, tension cycle, and labor with, you know, Bradley and hypnobirth and, you know, all of that is it's basically rooted in education. And when you understand what your body is doing, there's a lot less of that um, fear and anxiety over it. So don't be scared to go see a therapist before, (laughs) before you have the baby in case, you know, this is something that you've never really thought about, or maybe you have experience with pain and it's always been pretty triggering and you do hold a lot of tension. You know, whatever resonates with you, just know that therapy can help before you have the baby.
0: This is awesome. Okay, I'm very excited for next week. Um, it's going to be uh, such a good conversation about how do we apply this to your actual birth experience? All right, Dr. Q, where can people hang out with you this week um, before we see you again next week?
1: Well, I am on Instagram. <laughs> uh,
0: I was on Instagram a while ago, but we—well, yeah, long story.
1: But anyways, I'm in a new <laughs> account. <laughs> so I am on there. It's drq.dpt. Um, my information to my website is there. Uh, I do do childbirth education classes. I have one in September. Um, But until then, I just do a lot of education on the internet. I have a TikTok. That app is insane. I I just, it's (laughs) it's a lot to process and manage. So I don't post as much on there anymore. Uh, But I am on social media.
0: Uh, TikTok is a wild, wild animal uh, yeah. platform. Be careful but. out there. <laughs> <laughs> Not kidding. Stay safe. All right, you guys. We will see you again next week. Until then, bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community, and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review, and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by he he. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident.